We've all been hurt. We all carry scars. We can all overcome these things and be healed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's build that relationship together right here. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Hey everybody and welcome back to the sanctuary. So good to have you here. And for those of you joining us for the first time, let me just say welcome. Uh, A quick reminder, you can connect with us anytime uh, either on our website at BeTheLightSanctuary.org or on Facebook, of course, at the exact same thing, just Be The Light Sanctuary. Uh, look that up and you'll find us. Uh, of course, it would be helpful um, to us if you would like, subscribe, rate, or leave us a review anywhere that you listen to our podcast. Um, I know they're all a little different, all the different services. Uh, however, uh, the more of those things uh, that we get, um, the more the algorithm helps to, to get us out there for other people to find so we can continue to, to get that word out there and, and reach more and more people with the gospel. Um, also, um, you know, as you know, we don't ask for a traditional tithe or offering or anything like that. However, uh, if you do find it on your heart uh, to want to give to us, uh, you know, we do have a very easy way to do that setup online. Um, all you do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash healing scars. Uh, and that's right there on the website as well. So buymeacoffee.com slash healing scars. Um, and you can do so there. Um, you know, everything is prayerfully used. Uh, I, you know, we don't take any of it for personal use. It all goes into ministry and uh, helping to uh, spread the gospel to the world. Um, also, uh, final announcement here. We have uh, a, a new sponsor uh, of sorts. We've actually launched our own coffee, and a portion of the proceeds, of course, uh, you know, goes to the ministry. However, uh, another portion goes towards helping uh, veteran-based uh, charities and ministry as well. Uh, so if you find it on yourself, wanting to re- do something to help out the veterans, it's a very easy way to do so. Uh, just go to wakingbearcoffee.com. That's waking, W-A-K-I-N-G, bearcoffee.com. And uh, we have quite the selection there and more to grow. And that's really all we have for announcements this week. Thanks for bearing with me. I know that was a lot. Um, This week, we're going to continue on in the book of Zephaniah. As we saw last week, chapter one was directed at you know, as it was punishment being directed at the world for its disobedience and that there was still hope for believers. And this week we'll be going through through chapter two today and we'll see that it's specifically directed at Judah and Jerusalem being along with the rest of the world. So they're not being, you know, put off to the side, no favorite child or anything like that. They're going to be punished as well. Um, and this will actually continue on into the first part of chapter 3 uh, and until the book starts talking about the Day of Hope, which, of course, is really wonderful. You know, I'm excited to, to get to that part next week. So to reflect back um, a little, uh, this book was written to get the Israelites just to, you know, wake up, you know, it's just to shake them out of bed and, and get them to stop being so complacent, not only in their lives, but in their worship as well. You know, they needed to... you know to restart doing the things God had intended for him, you know, a little kickstart, if you will. 
you know, and, and they needed to turn back to relying on God and praising him instead uh, of being prideful and relying on themselves and, you know, and praising themselves and various pagan idols that were all around them and just permeating uh, the culture at that time. You know, they, they needed to be less accepting of the world and more focused on God's will, uh, very much like all of us, you know, you, me, all of us. We all need to be less accepting of the world and more focused on what God's will is and what God wants from us. Okay, so let's dive into the word now. For those of you who have your Bible and those of you who are taking notes, uh, please join me in turning to Zephaniah chapter 2. And we're going to start off with the first few verses here. So Zephaniah chapter 2, and we're going to start with verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, And the Bible says, Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like windblown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord and you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. As we can see, the clock is ticking here. Time's running out. If you were to look at it from an hourglass, you know, that, that sand It's still pouring, but it's very quickly running out. It's it's not quite done yet, but it's getting there. You know, um, from those of you who need a a sports um, analogy or a sporting uh, perspective, the two-minute warning has just rung. Okay? So people, they still had time to listen to God. You know, this is a warning. Repent and turn back to Him. You know, and this is a warning that we're all getting. You know, it, at that point for these people, it was time to have some humble pie and start obeying the Father again. And the Old Testament prophets, they had all given warnings and what the consequence would be if people continued to stay the course that they had been on. They had warned that the only means of escape was to turn from sin and back to God. All right, let me say that again, because this pertains to us just like it did to them. The only means of escape is to turn from sin and back to God. So repentance, you know, and it's not just, oh, I'm sorry or any of that. You know, true repentance is acknowledging, okay, hey, yeah, I messed up. I've been doing this. Lord, I need help to, to, to change. But then you need to go and you need to actually make the effort and start taking steps to take that sin out of your life and, you know, praying and let basically get that sin out and let the Holy Spirit fill you so that it can't come back in. All right. Um, true repentance is true change. It is change in your life. Micah 6 verse 8, the Bible says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, people will do all sorts of things to appease God. You know, like, oh, you know, I got, I got, to, make the, I got to make Dad happy. You know, but they don't take time to actually listen to what he has said and what he is telling us. And God has made it very, very clear that we be just, that we do what is right, that we be loving and merciful. All right. Merciful. That's a big one. Not just loving, but merciful. And that we walk with him humbly. That we humble ourselves. That word humble, you know, what what does that mean in the context of walking with God? Well, I'll tell you. It means to be modest in your position and to place God's importance above your own. That God is above us. All right? We look to him. And, and, you know, it's just as important today as it was then. This is something that has never changed. Why? Because God hasn't changed. This is his character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever will be. You know, we have had a ton of warnings that we need to turn back to what God has told us. And we need to act on it. You know, people, they don't look at, at, at world events this way. Very often, you know, you might hear something like, oh, we as a nation, well, you know what, we as a nation of God at that, okay? Warnings aren't just in the Bible. They don't just go to other countries. We, we're getting warned here. Everybody on earth has been warned. Every single one of us. Because God is in everything. All right, James Chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, a lot of people, you know, our culture, society today, you know, like to think that just going and sitting in a service is all that's needed. But it's not. You know, and it says right here, do what it says. We have to live what the scripture, what his word has called us to. We have to do what it has told us to. You know, you may have heard the phrase or seen the meme that says, the church isn't a cruise ship where everyone relaxes. It is a battleship where it's all hands on deck and everyone serves the mission. And that is very true. We're on a mission in the battle of good versus evil. And the lighthouse has its light turned on and its horn is blowing to warn us that if we don't change course, we're going to be in a whole lot of trouble real soon. All right, the people of Judah had plenty of warning, just like we do. So nobody had an excuse not to be listening. Everyone had the chance to fix themselves. And by fix themselves, I don't mean like, oh, let's just do that, you know, or let's get into a self-help group or read books or anything. No, 
everybody had the chance to start turning from their sin and get back in alignment with God, you know, and, and it doesn't take much. You know, as, as, as I've said before, and as the Bible has told us, a mustard seed of faith. You know, just like them, we need to listen. We need to pray for forgiveness of others, ourselves, and one another. All right? The big key, the big key word there is for one another, though. I should say key words. Not just ourselves, but for everyone around us. See, we need to ask for his mercy in addition to showing it. We need to start obeying him instead of the world. The excuse of I didn't know is not going to fly. And by living humbly or humbling ourselves, we're placing God above ourselves. It doesn't mean that we're putting ourselves down or being goody two-shoes about everything. It means that we're being honest about ourselves before God and before others. In other words, in front of God and in front of others. That we recognize God is the Father and have become servant leaders as His children as we've been called to and have been shown by the example of Jesus Christ when He lived and walked among us. Continuing on, Zephaniah chapter 2. Verses 4 through 7. The Bible says, Gaza will be abandoned and Ascalon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Carathite people. The word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. He says, I will destroy you and none will be left. The land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. That that land, excuse me, that land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening, they will lie down. In the houses of Ascalon, excuse me, Ashkelon, the Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. Your translation may also read that part as will bring back their captives. Now, the four cities here are in Philistia, down in the southwest part of Judah, along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Going on the way back to the days of Joshua, these were old school enemies of Israel. Like they, they, like we're talking old time enemies. They had history. They had beef. They'd been going at it for a long time. Um, you know, those odds just, they'd been there, buttonheads. And, and the Philistines, they were known, they were very well known for their idolatry, their cruelty, and really just being a bully as a nation. You know, these guys were jerks. And the cities here, these were four of their five capital cities. So four of their biggest cities. The fifth one um, was named Gath. And, and it's believed that at, by this point in, in history that it had already been destroyed. 
So Gath was already out of the picture, and they were down to just these four cities. Now, there's a word in Zephaniah uh, chapter 2 here. When, when you go back and you look at verse 7 that you, know, you should take note of. Uh, you know, and that, that word is remnant. This is a word that every single prophet used while prophesying about impending judgment and destruction being on the horizon. And this itself, it is a reference to believers, Christians, all right? God's children, basically. This, this small group of God's loyal children who God will show mercy on. And they will be returned back to their lands. They will be basically returned home to flourish. So even though God said he was going to destroy Judah, he's also going to be merciful and stay true to the promise he made to Abraham. If you look back to Genesis 17, verses 4 through 8, the Bible says, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God's character is that he doesn't lie and that he keeps his promises. So even though he can't allow sin to continue to go on and poison and kill the world as the cancer that it is, he's still going to be merciful to his children. Why? Because he is the father and the father loves his children. He loves us. He loves his loyal children. All right, even even before Christ, you know, before Christianity was born, God's children still there. Right? Today, we know exactly where we stand. So he's going to be merciful to his children. You know, God is made to be this I should say he's made out to be like this angry old geezer. You know, people like to say, oh, New Testament God, Old Testament God, you know, but he's not. You know, I said it time and time again that the judgment that he hands out, the justice that he has to met out, it's because of our own disobedience. And and because of that, we force his hand to correct us. Our punishment, we bring on ourselves. You know, and we can learn more about that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. You know, God, God always has our best interest at heart, even if we don't necessarily see it at the time. And let's be honest, oftentimes we just don't. We may think we do. That's why they like to say hindsight's twenty twenty. 
So going back to Zephaniah chapter 2, we're going to look now at verses 8 through 11. The Bible says, I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites, who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. This is what they will get in return for their pride. For insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty, the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the earth. Distant nations will bow down to him, all of them in their own lands. The way the Ammonites and the Moabites were... See, the, the Ammonites and the Moabites, were they were to the east of Judah. And their lineage itself actually goes all the way back to Lot's incest with his daughters after they dis- they escaped the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis 19. All right, so there's a reference right there. You know, because the, the Bible, it references itself constantly throughout, more so than any other book. And... and you know, they, they were another nation that was constantly at odds with Judah, taunting them, teasing them. All right. Um, they were also very cruel idolaters. And, and they worshipped uh, Simosh and Moloch. And, and, and you can learn more about that in 1 Kings uh, 11. And in 1 Kings 3, Moab's king... When you go back to that, he sacrificed his son on the city wall to stop an invasion. So to you know, to to the the false gods that you know he was worshiping the the you know the idolatry. That's how deeply rooted it was. That's how evil this dude was, and how how evil those people were. You know, just absolutely to the core. And, and here God is telling us. That he's heard what's going on, and he knows what the the Moabites and the Ammonites have been saying and doing, because he is all knowing after all. That he knows how prideful they are, and he's taken he's been taking notes, he, all right, and he's going to be dealing with them as well. There are no evil doers who will ever escape the Lord's justice, not one. And as believers. We have to remember uh, we have to remember that it will be in his time. You know, it, it's hard when you're being mocked. It's hard when you're being teased. It's hard when you're being harassed or even just plain ignored. It's a very lonely place. It feels very lonely and just isolated. However, God is there with you. So you need to talk to him and you need to trust in him. See, he'll he'll take care of you. He'll take care of all of us. Those who don't follow him, well, 
You know, they have time now, but eventually the time the time's going to run out and they're going to wish that they did. So take your hurt and place it at the feet of the Father. Put it at God's feet. Right there at the base of the throne. And then, once you've done that, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. We've been told to. It's biblical. We've talked about this. So take your hurt. Give it to the Father, and then pray for your enemies. Remember, God's justice is thorough. When Sodom and Gomorrah were dealt with, it was so thorough, so complete, so utterly awesome, that to this very day, nobody knows exactly where they were. So while we may feel the sting of the Father's correction when we misstep in life and when we're, we're you know falling into our own sin, the unbelievers, they're going to feel the sting of hell and damnation for their ridicule and their, their mockery of the Lord. That's going to be a whole lot worse. Cush is briefly mentioned here as well. Uh, however, you know they, they had also been prophesied over back in Isaiah 18 and in Ezekiel 30. So Zephaniah uh, chapter 2 verse 12, the Bible says, You Cushites too will be slain by my sword. So Cush... It, it was located at the southern end of the Red Sea, and it was controlled by Egypt around this time. They were slain by God's sword, which, if you recall, is the Babylonians, when they invaded Egypt around 605 B.C. You know, I'll remind you that the Babylonians, for all their evil, uh, you know, they were a, a really great tool that God welded uh, to turn a lot of people back to him. So he took something that was really bad out there and used it for good. Um, so, you know, like I said, they, they went through and, and just, you know, they ransacked things. So God was able to take them and use them to help, you know, people turn back to him and weed out just a ton of sin. All right. So going into the final part of Zephaniah 2 here, uh, let's look at verses 13 through 15 now. The Bible says, He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost on her columns. Their hooting will echo through the windows. And the screech owl... Oh, excuse me. Lost my place here. So... Let me just go back a little bit. So flocks and herds will lie down here, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost on her columns. Their hooting will echo through the windows. Rubble will fill the doorways. The beams of cedar will be exposed. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff 
and shake their fist. It's, it's interesting that for as big as Cush was, they're barely even mentioned in this book beyond saying you're going down. Bye. Good night, John boy. That's it, really. Just poof. Really kind of like a fleeting thought. But then the sights were actually set on the biggest dog in the yard to finish out the chapter. See, Assyria, if you recall, was the dominant world power with the strongest military might at that time. From a worldly aspect, they owned the yard. It was theirs. There wasn't anything that was going to happen there that they didn't have a say in or a hand in. All right, and, and a lot of us like to say the same kind of thing today. You know, oh, they'd be, they'd be stupid to pick a fight with us. We got the best military in the world. Oh, we we had the bomb. You know, pe- people forget. None of those things mean anything to God, because He can deal with all of it. Snap of a finger, less than that, really. Just just a thought. And as a nation. You know, that's done everything that it can to kick gods out of its institution. Well, you know, as a nation here, we're not what we once were either, we're, are we? You know, we're very arrogant. We become very prideful. You know, and going back to Assyria, even though, you know, they were starting to weaken, you know, they're getting real comfortable in their ways, kind of set. They'd been the world's powerhouse for three centuries three of them most people don't even live for an entire one very few people live for a hundred years right for three centuries they were the top dog they crushed anyone that dared to get in their way or even try to stand up to them for that matter their capital their Nineveh you recall you know they, they believed it was an impenetrable target nobody could touch it Right? They were the center of culture. They were the center of technology. We're talking libraries, massive buildings, an impressive irrigation system. You know, it, it was a true spectacle to behold. It, it was a gem, you know, out there. You know, it was the gem of their day. This was the this is the place to be. This is where the you know you know, like you look at just here, you know, people talk about oh, L.A. or New York City or Miami, depending on you know what what's going on. You know, we have certain cities like that here. We're like, oh yeah, that's that is the place to go to for certain things, right? And this was it. This was the center of the wor- of the world. That's how impressive they were. Right? You want to talk about? Let's talk about their city wall for a moment. Their city wall. It was approximately sixty miles long. 60 miles long. Some, you know, for, for some of us, we live in places, we don't even have to drive that far to get to the next city. To go that distance, some of us will go through several towns. It's 60 miles long. Not only was it 60 miles long, but it was 100 feet high. And then, more than 30 feet wide. With the round... 1,500 towers to protect it. So when it was predicted that it was going to fall, 
It was a bad joke at best to anyone living there. Like, huh, are you kidding? Are you serious? So if you want bib- biblical proof of prophecy, you know, proof of biblical prophecy, this right here, this was a tremendous example. Using the technology at the time. Wiped out. You know, because Zephaniah predicted it would happen. And a decade later, the Babylonians, they didn't just destroy them. They wiped them off the map like they were never there. Nineveh was so utterly destroyed that its very existence was questioned. It got to a point where many even believed it to just be a myth. Because there was no proof. There was no evidence that it, that it even really existed beyond word. People talking about it and where it was talked about in scripture. It wasn't until the 19th century, the 19th century, that archaeologists finally discovered it near Mosul in Iraq. That's how, that's just, Zephaniah 2, verse 13 says, Leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. And indeed it was. A place so forgotten and desolate and just utterly destroyed that even Indiana Jones wouldn't have bothered with it. It's like, oh, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. Nope, don't waste your time, kid. Wouldn't bat an eye. And this is a warning call to all of us. Every single nation around the world that it is time to turn back to Jesus. As believers, we know we'll be shown more mercy. And, you know, well, one day we'll get to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. We can't take the work the Father has tasked us with, with for granted, though. While, yes, Jesus is the way, if we truly love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul, then we will happily answer the Great Commission. And we will tell everyone that we can about Jesus and the gospel. We aren't the ones who do the saving. Let me remind you, Jesus does. It's just on us to make the introduction to him and serve as his ambassadors around the world. So I want want to share this with you. Um, You know, many of you I know are familiar with Penn and Teller. Uh, Penn Gillette, you know, one one half of uh, the duo there, he is a self-professed atheist. All right. However, in an interview, he had this to say about Christians evangelizing to the world. So uh, Penn said this, If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think people shouldn't uh, proselytize, 
Just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Gillette asked. How much do you have to hate somebody to, to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. This is coming from a self-professed atheist. And even he is saying that he respects people who go out and share the world. See, the point that he was making is that if you truly believe and you truly love people as you should, then you're going to speak up. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to make that introduction to Jesus. Now, whether or not that person is saved or believes, that's on them. But you did what you're supposed to. You did what we've all been called to do. What we as Christians are called to do by God. Something that we as Christians all should believe in. It's part of our, part of our core. It's part of the core of being a Christian. That, that as a Christian, that we show others the same love God has shown us. And that we share him with the world. All right. So, you know, let me remind you, God loves you. God's going to look out for you. So stay humble, stay obedient and follow him. His glory is much more than any of us can imagine, can imagine. And it's going to be absolutely magnificent to see. All right. So, so next week, uh, we're we're going to get jump into uh, chapter three. We're going to finish up with uh, you know this this la- last part of uh, the warnings coming through, and then we're and we're finally going to go into uh, the day of hope, which I, you know I'm really excited for. That's going to be awesome. All right, so uh, join us then. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Now go and be the church. Take care, y'all. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on our website at BeTheLightSanctuary.org or on Facebook at BeTheLightSanctuary. We'll catch you next time. God bless.